What's up, all you beautiful people? It's your boy Hobart. Happy February. It's the start of the month that goes by the quickest. Um, I feel like February starts and it's going to be March here before I even can get the grip of the month. Um, That is the way of the world, though. And uh, it feels like we're kind of in this winter, winterish time right now. I mean, it's California, so there's still tons of sun. But uh, yesterday I was sitting in my room and I heard this fairly curious noise outside and I was like what is that oh my god that's rain I haven't heard rain in a long time um but I love it I really like since moving to Oakland I like cherish the overcast rainy just dreary days that they really allow me to like settle in and quiet my mind in a way that when it's sunny out, I'm just like, Oh, I got to get outside. I got to go do these things. Self-actualize, self-actualize, self-actualize. So it's nice to have a uh, space. It's easier to um, take that space when I'm seeing gray skies, um, which I know my people in places like Seattle are like, you know, like, are you crazy? We would kill to have that. Well, just if there's one thing we learned from Bartholomew and the Ublek, you know, you got to find a way to be satisfied with what's coming out of the sky. Because if you're trying to change it, well, then you get Ublek all over the place. Yeah. All right. Um, so today I got a special person on here, as always. We get the best guests um, here on the Bartcast. But uh, I met this dude... I guess actually first when I was like 12 or 13, I went to like, went to this party at a house in Fairfax uh, through a friend who worked for the Marin County Bicycle Coalition, rest in peace, Deb Hupsmith, good friend of my mom's. And uh, we went to this house and it was this guy, Joe Breeze, who was one of the mountain bike founders of Breezer Bikes. And I ended up playing with his son who I, who's probably like five or six, I would guess. And he had all these Brio trains and, you know, I'm a big Brio train advocate. I love Brio trains, grew up with them, had a huge set. So I just right went in, went right into uh, building an epic layout for him in his room. And, uh, you know, apparently he was pretty stoked. And then, you know, fast forward, uh, I don't know, 18 years later and uh, I'm, going out to Fairfax to set up my first sh- art show for my photography, uh, hobartmedia.com slash photos, I think. Just go to hobartmedia.com if you want to see the aluminum prints I've been doing. Anyways, that's beside the point. Um, and I'm setting up at this art show at, at my friend, shout out Nick Baker's house, and... Uh, this dude is setting up uh, his hats and he's got beanies, he's got hats, he's got patches and stickers. And I just love the art. I love the design. It was like very simple, kind of uh, 2D, uh, but really just beautifully yet concise, like visually concise in this way that, that um, really appealed to me. And I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta get a hat. So I started talking to the dude. He was really nice. And um, I ended up walking with a dope 
red corduroy hat. If you actually, if you check my Instagram at Young Hobart, I'm actually rocking the hat in my last post. Maybe I didn't put it on Instagram. I think I put it on Instagram. It might just be on my Facebook. But you can see the red corduroy hat I got. It's got a really cool mountain logo on it. And um, I also bought a beanie off of him. And the beanie was like the most comfortable beanie I've ever owned. And I loved it so much. I ended up buying five more <laughs> to give to all my family members for Christmas. And they all love theirs. They're, they've been wearing them. So highly recommend checking out Tommy Breeze, his store, his apparel, his Instagram by Tommy Breeze. But today uh, we're getting into kind of, you know, the story of, of how a young man uh, becomes an entrepreneur and selling his art, affixing it to apparel. And um, it's kind of the first part of the conversation. And then, you know, I'd say about maybe half an hour, 45 minutes in, we really get into like the most fun space for me personally, which is this kind of like philosophical creative space. And it starts when... Tommy starts talking about his projects looking forward and his dreams for using his business and his platform to to support the arts in his community and really like create this culture of artistry that is supported by the larger community, which I think is really important and is really inspiring to hear entrepreneurs, business people that are thinking along these lines because so often from the business side, it's kind of like, how do I extract uh, value and profit from from the artists um, and it's really cool to see a business person like actually working to support the artists themselves and get and empower them to support themselves because we need that more than ever I think it, you know one of the biggest takeaways during this COVID time is that like hey we need content we need things to to keep our minds uh to give us opportunities to experience you know these brief moments of escapism if we're having a hard time and um and just to make more beautiful shit in the world like or for ourselves to have a practice that we can do artistically that allows us to express ourselves and work through difficult emotions or work through beautiful emotions and to, to communicate to our friends and our community in a way that inspires, you know, feelings in their hearts. And that's what art is. Um, this kind of translation of the intangible into uh, expressionism, into a way that, that instills emotions in the hearts of others. And I fully support that. So I got really excited. You can probably hear it in my voice. I start to kind of pep up at the end and we had some great conversations. I'm definitely hoping to collaborate with Tommy in the future. One last little note. Um, we did this in Tommy's workshop. So his assistant was packaging up a shipment in the very beginning of this episode. And so there's some free ASMR for all y'all out there in the background. We did pause uh, so we could finish that up. So that's why there's a couple little jumps in the track, just trying to fix little audio, you know, ambient audio issues. But uh, don't worry if it's irritating. It's only for, you know, less than a minute and then it should be pretty clear. Um, and I hope you guys enjoy this co conversation too. Um, so without further ado, let me present to you my friend, Tommy Breeze. 
on this episode, episode, episode 23 of the BartCast. Great to hear from you. What a surprise. makes a good crook, monsieur. Crook, monsieur. I think the pronunciation is the most important part. Yeah? Um, that and uh, you just gotta toast it right, you know? Mm. Yeah. Is there a special process for the toasting? I'm pretty sure. And once I find it out, I'm gonna quit <laughs> this hat enterprise altogether and I'm gonna open up a crook, monsieur restaurant. Do you got a name in right mind here. for what you would call it? Um... Croak, I'm sure, why not? There you go. Croak, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, what is croak, I'm sure? I, I forget. It's like, a, it's like a ham and cheese sandwich. It's really fancy. Nice. It's like yeah. a $20 ham and cheese sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've ate some of that when I was in Peru, actually. Oh, really? This, like really delicious French bakery that uh, me and my girlfriend at the time would go in the morning and get like really good oh. chocolate croissants. And that's, then, uh, that's amazing. We did in the evening. We did the raclettes with oh, like yeah. the cheese. It's a good, the... good evening pastry. Yeah. Well, that's why they say you should go to Peru is for the great French cuisine. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pause real quick. Sorry. Yeah. So, Peru, Hi. great French cuisine. Yep. Uh, I actually like wasn't a huge fan of the Peruvian cuisine. Really? Yeah. Wow. Shots which, fired. Shots fired. Uh, There's just a lot of like whole boiled potatoes uh-huh. and rice and not a lot of flavor i was like really you know, I i'm surprised i i had a misconception that uh i think that this is not unique to me but just like p- people tend to lump together like central and south american culture a lot mm-hmm. so i found the food a lot more kind of european inspired or just mm-hmm. lacking like heat any kind of spice mm-hmm. um although Alpaca is delicious, and I ate a ton of alpaca. Really? Really? You had an alpaca bowl? Alpaca bowl, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> that would be a great name for a restaurant there if they should go with that. What really blows my mind is that all of these foods that come from North, Central, South America weren't available in the so-called Old World until... Uh, you know, so-called European contact. Right. Um, so all these things we associate with, like, Irish culture, the potato, or, like, you know, Russian culture, uh, the potato, <laughs> you know, weren't available until fairly recently in right. those cultures' histories. Even, like, tomato sauce, right? Like a, right, even, exactly, tomato or, sauce. Or noodles, or pasta came from China. coffee, or tobacco, um... There's actually, uh, I just learned about this actually, I believe from uh, Sebastian, who's my uh, my out. go-to sales rep. Shout out Sebastian, um, first employee here at the company. Nice. Uh, he was just telling me about how 
coffee grounds were found, or maybe it was tobacco grounds, I forget. Uh, one of those, you know, drugs that gets you high, mm-hmm. uh, was found in Egypt in Pharaoh's tombs. Interesting. Um, so they think that there is some form of early contact. Wow. Um, and if it's a conspiracy theory that's yeah. unfounded, <laughs> I'm still going to believe in it because right. it's, it's, it's fun. That's it's, it, they are a lot of fun. Sure. It's one of those har- nice, harmless conspiracy yeah, theories. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, I remember those. I but remember. You, yeah, we were talking. I saw you got a, a copy of Frank Herbert's Dune here, which is I like do. one of my uh, top five books of all time that I've read. I love it. Yeah. And uh, what I was going to say was like, you know, I listen to a ton of podcasts. I listen to a ton of audiobooks. Audiobooks are like such an amazing invention for me because it's, it's like – I feel like there's less and less time to actually read and so much of my life has I've spent reading um that I've actually I'm trying to implement this practice again where like I ha- I'll, I'll have my audiobook and usually I listen to that when I'm falling asleep at night but uh I just kind of started this practice of in the morning when I have my coffee having like an actual hard copy book that I read in the mornings it's like a nice kind of I take like an hour or two just to like have some slow wake me it's time. true that's awesome it's a real luxury in our modern lives to have some time to actually read some words on a page right that exactly. aren't on a screen that never were on a screen uh-huh. you know and, um, and that there's no narrator like the narrator that's in your mind you know like mm-hmm. like an audiobook can be affected so much by the performance of the person reading it definitely but my i get five stars every time <laughs> and I'm really a narrator in my head so. right yeah I'm really excited to get more into audiobooks mm-hmm. I've been going super hard on the podcasts yeah. lately um, one thing that I uh, I didn't realize would happen when I took this job is I have a lot of time to listen to audio right um, I'm sewing so much especially mm-hmm. uh, you know a month ago when we were in the the holidays, I kind of feel like the holiday rush for us started in August when yeah. we were prepping for everything. Right. And it was a lot of sewing, you know, most days is like five to eight hours of sewing and wow. I'd stay up really late. Um, cause you know, I had to do all the parts of the business that weren't sewing. So I'd do that until about five o'clock and then I'd jump on the, the sewing chain and, um, we've got a, a post bed sewing machine here in our office HQ and I sit there and I put on some podcasts and put on my big studio headphones and go at it. Nice. And uh, it's been a great way to pass the time and and just, you know, learn about stuff. Um, I've got that copy of Dune sitting there that you mentioned and uh, you'll notice I have a bookmark in there. I I believe it's a patch. And uh, it's like, (laughs) it just fell out of the book. So I'm just probably going to have to restart the book, but it's only like 15 pages into the book because I just haven't found the time lately to read those words on a page. Um, Well, dude, I could certainly give you some like amazing audiobook recs too. Sweet. Let's do that. if you're a sci-fi fan, but I would assume definitely that you have Doom that you are. But have you heard of the Expanse? I haven't. I'm a I'm a I'm a sci-fi fan, but I'm a terrible sci-fi fan because mm. I don't read enough sci-fi. Well, this is the, in my opinion, the best audiobook series out there, both for the quality of the story and the writing, but also the narrator is incredible. He does cool. like it's a rotating protagonist story, you know, mm. where there's like you know many different protagonists. 
mm-hmm. and with a variety of accents and personalities and this guy Jefferson Mays is the narrator um, but the expanse they actually have a show now on Amazon Prime that's it's all right it's like started on the sci-fi channel so there's a little bit of cheesiness to it mm-hmm. but the audiobooks I think they're about to release book nine this year which is oh. going to be the final book in the series but it's just like amazing space opera like set in it's set in the i think like 300 years and 200 years in the future and humanity has colonized the solar system first first mars and then uh the the asteroid belt and Mm -hmm. mars secedes from earth and becomes their own like country that's like kind of the best and brightest in a way like earth has kind of sunk into this kind of like slow grind state where like Mm -hmm. most people are on basic like universal basic income and then uh space is kind of like where people are who are ambitious end up and mars is like this planet now of these ambitious people that are like trying to terraform it um and then the belt the asteroid belt has become the new third world so uh the people living there and you know abject poverty and struggling just for things like water and oxygen and they're kind of the new uh lower class and there's tons of civil unrest as a result so it's this very like rich plausible like very much a live world that the author creates or authors it's a team of two and um then you introduce into that you know there's all these um ramifications of this right and then you introduce into that like a gnarly alien virus and uh it's you know for Nothing me like, like a gnarly virus totally, totally to really get you going and for me you know uh, um a good sci-fi story kind of has to make your skin crawl a little bit yeah and and from like the first i guarantee like two minutes into the story and you'll be hooked it's like very you know compelling gonna have to check it out yeah. and it what, builds. what i'm gonna need though is i'm gonna need you to read it <laughs> on these microphones and then just go. just send me the files yeah you know? yeah i'll just i'll sit no down worries. i yeah, thought about yeah. doing that as a as a um potential career at one point like doing voice acting and audiobooks i've nice. been told i have a soothing voice so. sneaking some asmr <laughs> into there exactly yeah open some lollipops earlier we had a little studio asmr going on for for all you uh, fans of that medium um but the cool thing about the story too is it's it's what uh shout out asmr nation yeah exactly it's what uh fired up i guess it's called hard sci-fi which it's like science fiction based on our current understanding of physics so the authors like Ooh. really do their homework they're not just like and then their inertial compensators kicked in you know like <laughs> uh-huh. there's a lot yeah. written about the stresses on the body of like high g burns and maneuvers mm. and um i think that's a harder way to write uh in the genre but it it really does um make it feel like alive and right possible. it's like historical science fiction but the history hasn't happened yet because it's set like in the future that. i like that for sure well tommy uh i want to talk about your art and really? your business okay. and all this um we just recently figured out that we have met before 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 in another life in another life i was telling the life my, of childhood my mom that uh that I was going to do this with you. And she was like, oh yeah, we went to a party at their house back in the day. And you like built this huge Brio train set up for like a, I think you were probably like seven or eight. I was 
all about that phase. You caught me right in the <laughs> golden age of my wooden train phase. Dude, I can. And I, can I wish totally. I remembered it. Yeah. I wish I remembered it. I don't know. Those years were a blur. Right. Uh, right. Your, your I memories, don't know. Integrity of the memories is not. Yeah. I don't know what I was on. High def. But it must right. have been something pretty good because I don't childhood, remember. Childhood, man. Yeah. The ultimate drug. <laughs> the ultimate drug childhood, exactly. Yeah, yeah nothing but, uh, like it. But yeah, I wanted to talk about um, just how does one become a, a hat maker? A hatter? How does one become a, a hatter? A hatter, a hatter, yeah. Well, uh, in my case, fairly accidentally, I would say. Um, I've always been into hats. Uh I was a baseball fan growing up. Always had that Giants hat on my head. I also played Little League Baseball just down the street here. And, uh, you know, it's always been a part of my life. In college, I would say I got a couple uh, couple hats that I loved, that I'd love to, to put on. But I wasn't really thinking about putting art on a hat. Um, when that happened was when I... I ended up unexpectedly going to a Giants game, and the free giveaway at the gate was a corduroy Giants hat. Ooh, that's a good giveaway. Great giveaway. The best giveaway. Um, so I got this corduroy Giants hat, and I loved it. It's like this really fine corduroy, really uh, plush, soft material. Um, another great thing about corduroy is it really ages like a fine wine. Right, yeah. Um, it gets so- softer, isn't it? Yeah, it gets softer, it wears in, it's, it sun fades nicely. Um, and it really just opened my eyes to the connection that a wearer can make with their hat. And uh, eventually that led to thinking, well, maybe I can put some of my art on some hats. Because about probably six or eight months earlier, I had been looking into sort of kicking off a bit of an art career. I had done all the classic things like make an Instagram account that (laughs) wasn't just my personal Instagram account, but instead was focused around my art uh, by Tommy Breeze is what I went with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was just making some designs and uploading them to there. And... When I made my Cypress design, which was one of the first ones that I really, you know, solidified as a design, mm-hmm. um, I had this hat that I loved, and I was thinking, huh, I wonder if I could put these designs onto hats. Um, so I found a supplier who could make some patches, and I quickly realized that if you're making patches, uh, there's order minimums. You can't just make one or two. I mean, you could, but it would cost a ton of money. Um, So whether you're ordering 20 patches or 100 patches, it's pretty much the same cost uh, overall. So it's like, all right, let's do it. I'll order 100 patches. And, you know, I had to learn how to sew them onto hats. and, you know, if I could just make a, if I could have just made a few patches, that might have been it. Yeah. I might have uh, satisfied my need to put things onto hats. But I had a hundred of them, so I thought, you know, let's uh, figure this out, figure out how to how to move some of these. Yeah. Um, hey, uh, can I pause you real yeah, quick? Yeah, of course. I got to change the sensitivity of this. Uh, oh, yeah. And I can always boost the volume. Okay. All right. Where were we? You just got a hundred patches. I could also... 
talk through it again. Let's yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that without sure. the picking sure. up other stuff. Yeah. So you're saying that you you got this giant's hat. Yeah, I got this giant's hat, and it was kind of the perfect hat. It was this beautiful, soft corduroy, and it really just opened my eyes to the way a hat can become a part of your life and um, really be part of your aesthetic that you really love, and that's something that you're taking with you all the time. You can really build a connection with that, and I wanted to explore that. And really, once that hat started to wear out a little more, I wanted to diversify my hat portfolio. Important, and important thing in any young man's life, I'm sure. Exactly, yeah. And I was making all these designs. I just started to make a art account, and you know, on Instagram as one does, um, and start getting more and more of my designs out there. And I decided to order one of those designs as a patch. I found a patch supplier. Um, turns out if you want to make a patch uh, through any of your standard uh, manufacturers, you got to have a pretty high minimum patch order. So uh, I had to get a hundred of these. I could have gotten fewer, but it would be pretty much the same overall cost to get 10 as it would to get a hundred. Um, because most of the most of the cost is just the setup fee of setting up all the, you know, the printing and embroidery for the patch. Um, so I got a hundred patches of my Cypress design, which was kind of the first one that I finalized, mm-hmm. and uh, figured out how to sew them onto hats. It was really, really dicey at first. It took me probably an hour per hat to wow. sew the patch on and. Uh, this is just attaching the patch to your yeah at the outside of the just hat. just affixing it on there and you know obviously I didn't have a sewing machine or anything that I have these days so I just had a needle and thread in my hand yeah sewing it on and um, get solid with your stitch work yeah yeah so you know if I could have ordered just you know ten patches and that was that I I might have not even explored it further um, but I had a hundred of these things and thought well I might as well focus on on trying to get them out there into the world. Um, I had been looking at lots and lots of ways to uh, to put my art onto things and sell it. That's, you know, I was sort of trying to create a little side hustle for myself. Mm-hmm. I was working at a wonderful art gallery in Fairfax called Truve, and just surrounded by all this beautiful local art. How, how did you get, sorry, I want to yeah, even no dial back a little bit. Yeah. How did you get started with your art in general? Like, what was that evolution like? Well, I, I've always loved drawing. Um, back in the day, it was drawing a lot of trains. Loved okay. drawing some trains, nice. drawing some cats, you know, all the things that were surrounding me in my mm-hmm. life at home. Um, later on, you know, middle school, high school, I really was drawn toward landscapes. So I would draw landscapes all the time you know, sketch in the margins of my notes in school, draw all manner of cartoonish things. Um, I always just really liked putting pen or pencil to paper. That's pretty much what I worked in, either pen, pencil. It didn't get into painting until a while later. Mm-hmm. And that was really the trajectory of it, is just enjoying drawing 
And then when I was in college, I studied art history. And that didn't really have a making art component to it, but it did really clue me into a lot of concepts of good design, you know, looking at uh, different painters and sculptors and what they were doing and why they were doing it. So I really appreciate having that background. Um, but I think in general, I've always just been interested in, in design and just uh, putting images together in a way that's pleasing, uh, pleasing or, or thought-provoking. Um, and one of the things that I really focus on with my work is balance. Mm. So when I'm making a design, I'm really specifically going in there and making sure that each uh, component of it is balanced, say, within a circle. I often work with circles. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting there, uh, like, uh, with a drawing program open on my computer and staring at it and, like, clicking one pixel to the left for mm-hmm. this one part of it. Like, no, it needs to go two pixels to the right. And I'll spend a bunch of time just sitting there and and trying to get that that collective feel down there. So even if you don't notice the balance um, in the front of your mind there's, I believe, sort of a a deeper connection that your mind picks up on, like sort of a happiness that gets unlocked if you're looking at something that is totally balanced. Right. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the first things that attracted me to your art um, was, you know, I I take a lot of joy in, especially with clothes that I wear, um, like the simplicity, like a simple design, uh, without writing, just like a little image, you know, it's all, like, I like, I think it's so powerful on a piece of clothing to see something that's just like a simple logo or a simple image where you're almost curious right away of like, what, actually, what does that represent? Or what is that? And I think it was at, you know, shout out Nick Baker at his arts fair. I was bringing my photography and I saw your hats and right away I was like, Oh, that's, that's my style right there. Like just the, it was the little mountain image that you that you did, and there was just this beauty and the the simplicity of it. You could have done a lot of cross hatching or shading or added all this depth, but there was something about the like very just kind of neat simplicity of the lines and the thickness. And um, I was really drawn to you know to that uh, that aesthetic that you created. I think it works really well. Cool. That's really great to hear. Yeah, and. And it's really about the wearer's connection to the art piece and to the hat. I always say, like, it's not my hat, it's your hat. Right. The design should resonate with the wearer uh, just as much or even more than it resonates with the artist. And I love it when people uh, tell me, you know, what, say, the mountains design reminds them of. You know, uh, it's meant to be an iconic image of of just being outdoors in your happy place. It's not supposed to represent any one location, although there are several locations in my mind, in my memory scape, that it draws on mm-hmm. um, creating the design. But there's so many more places out there that it can represent, 
and really the designs are meant to allow the viewer and the wearer to channel their happy place wherever that may be yeah it's kind of like in songwriting you know a lot of the most i think powerful songs from a lyrical perspective are, are ones in which uh you know the audience the listener is able to make their own meaning from the words yeah. and so many of like the most famous artists most famous musicians have have done amazing pieces of work uh, that are these open-ended kind of challenges to like find your own meaning, choose your own adventure uh, from this structure that I've built in the form of a song. And I think that Definitely. in this context, your art does a very similar thing. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And when I write music, I'm usually speaking through the voice of a character mm. that I've developed that's kind of based on my experience, but it's a vehicle for running a little further with it and maybe, you know, playing a character that isn't necessarily me but works for getting the song out there nice i didn't know you played music what did, what do you play well i i play guitar and i sing and back in the day i don't know 20 i guess it was 2016 yeah. way back way, way back, back. When, <laughs> uh i started a band here in fairfax and it's funny because that's the context that a lot of people know me in mm. is like tommy the musician um and it was only later, a couple of years later, that I I started doing the visual art thing. Um, it was about the time, maybe 2018, late 2018, where we weren't really playing shows very much. The band had kind of disintegrated. We were on to other stuff. And I was like, all right, well, what's this uh, creative outlet going to be? Um, and I happened upon, um, you know, some designs I was already making and sketching and and uh yeah really really kind of accidentally happened upon that thing and then i realized that it made a lot of sense because you know i could get the blank hats i had my needle and thread in my hand um and i was learning how to stitch patches onto hats just sitting there with the needle and thread going around the patch sewing it on there um Initially, it took me a really long time to do each one. So all the really early ones are, you know, they're they're both they're both really bad and really time consuming. Yeah. And then I figured <laughs> out, you know, how to do it, and eventually got that time down from like an hour or forty five minutes down to about six to eight minutes oh, wow. per hat. Nice. Um, by the by the end of the era of the hand stitched hat. Um, that's about what I was at, about 16 That's minutes. impressive, so, man. So it was a process. Yeah. <laughs> and those early hats, like, was there, um, was there, like, a specific, you know, like, festival or moment when you, like, presented them for the first time, or were you just, like, selling them word of mouth to friends, mm -hmm. or, like, did, did you just give them away, or, like, what was that process like? Right. To uh, the first hat I wore for a couple days, and then I gave it away to my buddy Ruffin, Ruffin Bailey, mm -hmm, who was uh, working at Gestalt House at the time. And, uh, you know, this was me thinking uh, both, you know, loving Ruffin and wanting him to have a hat and then also thinking, you know, the business Tommy side. Right. Like, if I get, like, super cool bartender in town to be wearing one of my hats, like, people are going to ask him about it. And sure enough, they did. Um, so I was selling them on my Instagram account. And then eventually just word of mouth around town, people would hit me up and want a hat. So I was pretty busy in those early days. Um, 
I think I was always pretty busy because in those early days, it took me so long to sew a patch onto a hat. Right. Um, and then as the business started to pick up, I got faster at sewing them together. Um, I posted six hats on my Instagram account initially. And actually, Sebastian, shout out again, bought two of them before we even really knew each other that much. Mm. And now he's the sales rep here at the company. So he has uh, two of like the first 10 hats. Nice. Collector's items. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I'd hang out at Perry's or at Gestalt House, the local bars here in Fairfax. And I'd sit there with a stack of blank hats and some of my cypress patches and stick them together. And then the real big moment that increased the volume of things was in the run-up to the holidays in 2018. Um, I think I started putting the hats out there in like September. And then by November, I got a request from a local shop called The Find. Uh, it isn't in Fairfax anymore, unfortunately, uh, but the proprietor, Jane, is a wonderful woman, and I, uh, you know, I worked down the street at Truve, the, another art gallery in town, and knew Jane, and walked in with one of my hats, and brought up the idea of selling them there at the find, and she said, yeah, you know, how many can you make us, um, so I was like, well, you know, by the end of the week, maybe I'll have 20 together I can bring in. And I think just a couple weeks after that, she had sold through that whole batch wow. of the hats. Um, so, I, you know, as I started making more, I got faster at making them and had them in the fine through the holidays there. And I did a, a pop-up show over at J. Lee Clothing in Point Ray Station. And by the end of that show, they had picked me up at their shop in point race um so i realized that there was a bit of a market for wholesaling to stores and that really appealed to me because i love independent stores in marin love the idea of supporting them and uh yeah just had uh you know great times interacting with the store owners and and that really uh you know lit a fire in me to to keep going with it that's awesome, man. It's it makes sense that uh, you would have this kind, of, you know, keen eye for for design. And I just learned this recently, just about your father, though. You know, famous Joe Breeze, mountain bike pioneer. I actually studied him in high school. We did a project on Marin history, so I'm curious. Like, you know, you're coming from this family. Your your father is like this successful and famous engineer and pioneer of, of mountain bikes uh, you know I, a lot of people hear the na name gary fisher i think my first bike was a gary fisher and mm -hmm. correct me if i'm wrong but that's one of your dad's old friends right? absolutely grew up on mount tam and yeah a couple um, of the guys at the center of things then yeah along with charlie kelly and mm -hmm. tom ritchie and wendy Cragg and jackie phelan and charlie cunningham and the, the list really goes on yeah so i'm curious like would how supportive you know were, were your parents in this venture and was that something that influenced you and, and how your art got created oh, my, my parents are incredibly incredibly supportive I'm, I'm so lucky to to have them there believing in me and I remember around when I was sort of just about to to dive into the hat thing or maybe hadn't quite landed on it yet I was talking about 
going back to school, trying to get a master's degree in maybe museum studies, which I had done in college, or maybe mm-hmm. landscape design, you know, just trying to going through that whole stressful thing of like, what the heck am I going to do yeah. for money Totally around here? You know, couldn't keep working in, in small shops and still afford to live in Marin. Right. Uh, so I was like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, I talked about maybe going back to school and... And my mom said, uh, you know, you should really look in, look more into your art. That's awesome. Which is just an amazing thing to hear from, um, yeah, from a parent. Yeah. And, how, many, how many kids yeah. get to hear that from their mom? Right. <laughs> and my dad's always been really supportive, too, and, and just a really great person to, to look toward. Um, you know, he's a, an incredible engineer and also an incredible designer, um, most people probably don't know that he's an incredible visual artist, mm. um, you know, illustrator. Uh, he designed the, the all the graphics for Breezer in the early days and the head badges and everything nice. and, and really, really has a f- fantastic uh, ability to draw. Um, so he was always drawing when I was a little kid and I'd watch him do it and you know, get an idea of what you could do with a pen and paper and uh yeah, i remember his the, the breezer bikes have such an iconic like a very specific look to them like yeah, that uh, definitely that uh, you know i remember being a teenager and uh and just noticing that they that there was like this this definite uniqueness to the design of those models and definitely um, yeah yeah and a lot of it's really inspired by the past that spear point paint jobs inspired by the early uh schwinn excelsior models Mm. the pre-war schwins that they would ride up on mount tam and the hills around here and and uh really the progenitor of the modern mountain bike was those uh basically uh you know cruiser bikes that they would repurpose for riding off-road and eventually they started breaking so much that it was time to uh design a modern mountain bike and Turns out my dad was the guy who everyone pointed to to make that happen. Uh, especially Charlie Kelly, who was the the essentially the founder of the Repack race, or at least its uh, official unofficial leader at the time. Mm. Asked my dad to build him a bike from the ground up that would withstand the rigors of this downhill race they were all doing. And my dad was taking a frame building class at College of Marin, and. Uh, Charlie uh, paid him up front and he said he'd uh, get to work and it's probably about eight or ten months later that my dad had come up with the, the finished product which was the prototype that he kept for himself and tested and then <laughs> after that he built a run of nine more for his friends um, but yeah it just really shows how how methodical yeah. he is he's he's all about um, you know design before you build um, I think I picked up Measure a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I think I picked up a lot of that from my dad. Although a lot of my projects lately are like measure five times, cut never. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a good, important part of the process uh-huh. too. I was, I was thinking about that last night. I I was trying to record a, make a song for my, my buddy for his birthday, and uh, I got to a point with it where like it was really fun for a couple hours, and then. I hit a couple snags and I really realized like just how important the process is of just sketching even with music and yeah. 
Definitely. You know, with, with drawing, I'm, I like to draw too. And, and how yeah. many sketches do I have that I never made right. anything official with? Yeah, just improvising. But, yeah. It's so much fun with, with visuals or with music. I love improvising. I want to, you know, always find more time to be able to do that. Totally. Definitely. The, the, the other thing I wanted to say was just, I, I just recently got into mountain biking. I, uh, I grew up out here in, in West Marin and, and, uh, certainly, you know, I think my brother had a, had like a nice specialized, uh, when he was little, I had actually an old Gary Fisher given to me. Um, no, it was, you know, hard tail, no suspension, but I rode that thing everywhere. And it was like the lightest bike, lighter than all these fancy bikes that everybody was riding. Right. Um, and I love that thing, but I never really got into the trail riding until this year, this last year I went to Colorado with my friend and we did a bunch of mountain biking in Crested Butte and just at, and love just, Crested and, Butte. Yeah. One of my favorite places on the, yeah, on the planet. Just, and the Aspens were changing and it was yeah. just gorgeous. And I got back and yeah. I was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta do this. You know, yeah. also a really important place for mountain bike history. Oh Crested yeah. Butte. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it became, you know, sort of the social center of mountain biking by, you know, 1980, like the early 80s, they had mm. something called Fat Tire Bike Week. Okay. They also had something called the Pearl Pass Clunker Tour that they started uh, all by themselves in 1976 uh, without any influence from the Marin Riders who were doing their thing wow. over here. Um, it's a bunch it's of parallel thinking. Yeah, parallel thinking. Absolutely, they're getting all these bikes from the Denver dump and riding them around town on those flat dirt streets they have in Crested Butte. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that all the streets were dirt there <laughs> through the through the seventies, probably. And uh, yeah, the Marin Riders, my dad and and Gary and Charlie and Wendy, they all got wind of what they were doing out in Crested Butte via a article in the. I guess it was the some offshoot of the the whole earth catalog Mm. and uh they called him up and said hey are you doing the ride this year and they said yeah and they (laughs) went out there to crested butte and met up with them and ended up going over the the pass that they had gone over a couple years before and after that um it was a annual event and and even more so than marin crested butte uh uh, stayed the the epicenter of the spirit of mountain biking because so many trails in Marin were shut down pretty early on in 1979. Wow. Uh, which was just a couple of years after anybody uh, was starting to hear about mountain biking as a sport. Right. It was probably the year that the term mountain bike was coined. And Crested Butte, on the other hand, had all their trails open so it was a, a much more fertile area for, for developing the sport, even though so many of the builders and engineers were back here. Um, although there were also a lot of builders and engineers in Colorado. I'm sure, yeah. And really one of the main things that that whole story of mountain biking uh, has taught me is that it's really all about creating that fertile ground for doing what you want to do creating the scene and the community because you can have a lot of talented people all in one place but if nobody hears about it it's not going to go anywhere and it's really about the people who want to get involved um the ability to have the thing that you're creating and doing speak to other people on a really personal level 
is I think what really gets the momentum building. And how, do, how do they find their own meaning? Like we were just talking about earlier. Yeah, like finding your own meaning in the design. Um, also finding your own meaning by maybe learning how to uh, how to create apparel. That's one thing that I really want to go toward. Um, is not just creating my own apparel, um, but creating workshops and a space for people to uh, get involved and create their own designs and mm. turn them into patches and put them on their stuff. Like a, like a platform for collaboration. Exactly, like a platform for collaboration, yeah. And that's, uh, you know, while running the company here, you know, making hats, sending them out through tommybreeze.com or through wholesalers or through the stores that we're in now. Mm-hmm. Um, in the background, I've really been working on the beginnings of a platform. Awesome. Yeah. You got a name for it yet, or is it still in the uh, early development process? Still in the early development process, yep. Um, but we do have the space leased. Uh, my buddy oh, cool. John Zerby, it's his space uh, over in San Rafael. Nice. And there's enough space for me to move my manufacturing setup over to San Rafael. Um, and then we're also expanding it a great deal um, so that we can bring our own custom patch manufacturing into the process. That's so cool. So instead of ordering patches, you know, by the several hundred, we'll be able to make unique patches one by one um, with some processes we're developing, combining screen printing and embroidery all into the same setup. Nice. And then actually run what's called a, a marrow machine uh, made in Fall River, Massachusetts for the last hundred years. It's the proprietary stitch that puts that stitched border onto the edges of patches. That really like yeah, tight like a border. Round wound thing, yeah, like it's like a round like wound like surging stitch that goes around the outside and then there's like a cross hatch stitch that attaches it to the patch. Mm. And it's just a, a really, really specialized tool. <laughs> That does one thing really well. Right. <laughs> yeah. So we got a couple of those machines now, and we're working out the processes to actually allow people to get in touch with us, whether it's for their business or, or you know, just for workshops that we want to put on. Um, come in, make a design, and see it turned into a patch. I, got, I just want to put a shout out slash notice of intent that uh you got to get ecp involved at some oh point. yeah he, actually he's already involved shout out eli carlton pearson I, I just got a letter in the mail from him today that's awesome it was this killer sweet letter you know with so much love in it and it in the front is just this amazing color drawing of this natural treescape and he was like this is one of my first colored pieces and i've just been following his you know it's eli arts and farts on instagram but he's one of my favorite artists both as a musician and as an illustrator absolutely same here man eli is such a talented artist yeah obviously his music speaks for itself with uh psdsp physical Mm -hmm. suicide deterrent system project greatest name ever he was on this podcast he was he was episode i want to say like four or five that's incredible yeah Yeah. very uh very talented guest to have aboard and uh yeah a lot of people don't know that he's also an an incredibly talented visual artist he's so good so we're working on a 
process right now for turning some of his pieces into large format and small format patches. Awesome. And uh, maybe I'll spill the beans a little bit on your podcast here, but uh, we're working on a process for patch creation that uh, leans more toward the abstract expressionist side of patch creation. And Mm. it works really well with Eli's uh, some of Eli's art, his apparel art. Uh, some of you listeners might be familiar with Eli's uh, PSDSP sweatshirts. I'm wearing one of them right now. Yeah, the ill. Oh, I didn't the even Illy. notice that. I've, I've only seen it with the red on black. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, I got a special one off. Uh, got a lot of visual aids here. I don't know how that translates to the <laughs> world of, of radio land. You just got to paint a word picture, man, but... Yeah, I've got a I've got a sweatshirt here that Eli That's painted. Ill, man, that is ill. It's from the Ill brand. Anagram. Ill with an exclamation point. Yeah. Of course. And uh he does it with stencils, uh masking tape stencils. So we'll put down a masking tape stencil um for the words ill with an exclamation point. And it's an anagram, right? And it's an anagram, right? Same front to back. There's a whole lot of different meaning that you can take from it. You can take away whatever meaning you want. And the pattern, just for those of you listening, it it, it almost uh, is reminiscent of that that those old children's books, the Hungry Hungry Caterpillar. Are you familiar with those? Uh, yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. Those, it's uh-huh. like got that similar kind of paint pattern. That's right. In these different bands of. Yeah, color. yeah. Once he puts the stencil down, he just goes in with acrylic paint and paints over it. And it, I mean, I've had this sweatshirt for for, I think over two years. Even washed it a few times, it and it's uh, yeah, still looks great. Um, so we're working on a on a way to to produce patches with Eli's art on it. Awesome. And we're going to be using this system, I believe, where basically you make a big tapestry of uh, of stencil tape art. So you put down tape in all sorts of directions, and then once the tape's down, you go in with paint. And you paint in all the negative space. Um, then you peel off the paint, and you're left with this big tapestry with all these designs all across it. You know, some big swaths of paint, some little sections. It's all sort of put down in an abstract expressionist style, just what what fits in the moment. Yeah. And we're developing a process to be able to go around with basically a set of cookie cutters. Um, different shapes, different sizes, go through a tapestry and cut out different smaller sections of the tapestry. Hmm. Um, it's like a second phase of design. So you've made one big piece, and then the second phase where you're going in and creating something is you're creating the specific portions that you want to cut out. Interesting. Yeah. A sample of a sample. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... So, you know, you, you go through with your cookie cutter and you draw out the shape that's going to become a patch. And maybe it's a little patch to go on a hat or on the side of a shirt or something. Or maybe it's a big patch to go on the whole back of a denim jacket. Um, or, you know, any manner of things. And with our, uh, with our sewing lab over in San Rafael, we're actually going to be able to turn those sections of tapestry into individual patches and from there we'll be able to release different lines of clothing that are all made from patches that were once part of the same larger tapestry 
That's so cool. Man, how, how does an artist become involved in, in this, uh, this project? Or, or is, is it an open thing or do you guys have like a... we definitely want to have it as open as possible we want to run workshops where people can come in you know we want to have events one day remember events there was yeah, a thing where we get together once upon a time yeah <laughs> um but you know we want to have uh open-ended free-flowing festivals where bands play and it's a decentralized concert um so you don't just go to see the music and be all packed in in front of it um instead there's music playing you can listen to you can Mm-hmm. You can jam to it, you can mosh to it, you can spin around in the aisles. And the whole rest of the time, there's all these other things to get up to. Awesome. So it's basically things that people can do in small groups with the people they came with, uh, maybe meet people, um, work on things together. Um, but all of these different uh, you know, classes, workshops, open-ended creative things that you can do and by the end of the festival you can you know submit the art you've made to be made into a patch and then we'll be able to either make it right there or uh, make it into a patch and send it to the people who made it that's such a cool idea man it's like i say this with the utmost love like one of the most marin things i've ever heard awesome. you know yeah and like yeah that's what it's about you know funky it's... you know you know out west vibe you know, for sure that's very that that interactive asp interactive aspect of it absolutely um, with the radical inclusivity one of my core values um i love to hear that that to, to open it up because for so many people that's kind of the barrier of entry right is Maybe yeah. I have all these ideas, but how would I ever implement the doing? And it takes a certain right. kind of artistic mind to be able to hold space for the creative, but also uh, to be able to navigate, um, you know, the, the infrastructure and technical aspects that, that for so many artists are, are where they have to get off the train, you know? Right. And that's that draws back on why we're trying to create a platform, really. Um, we want to provide that infrastructure. Um, so there's like a is there like a stage or a performance space also in this in this? Definitely, yeah. Awesome. One of the things that we want to do moving forward is actually rent out nights at local bars and nightclubs. Sweet. Um, you know, once it's feasible and safe to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the things that I foresee um, in our collective future here is a willingness. Um, to try new things in creative spaces and in uh, municipal spaces. So whether it's a nightclub or maybe a park in a city, I think a lot of cities and town councils are opening up to the idea of creating a venue for artistic expression. Um, I'm really seeing things going that way. So what I would love to do is, you know take over the forest behind Perry Park Mm. for a weekend, just like the Fairfax Festival does, and just like it did when the Fairfax Festival was starting up for the first time in the 70s, and like renew that creative spirit here on a grassroots scale. That's awesome. Well, I want to throw my hat in the ring, too. I have, uh, me and my brother have been working on our backyard space in in North Oakland, um, and I have this dream for it to become... Uh, in the in the coming months or year, whenever people start to feel safe again to to come out 
uh, I want to offer up my my yard as this like safe uh, re-socialization zone for people that are like because I feel like all of us have been in hibernation for so long and I know that like sometimes after you've been in this introverted space for so long it can be kind of a shock to come back into a larger social setting so yeah yeah my dream is to have like a series of pop-up shows me and my brother built this beautiful stage in the in the corner of the yard and um we got a really nice living room too for like art art space so we should definitely talk about that we should things start to open up i would love to offer that space up for you know, I love it. That sounds something like this. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the the house show vibe. When yeah. You can do that. You know, I think there's a lot of incredible properties in the Bay Area and incredible people who we'd be able to, to use as a platform for doing really rad stuff. And that's amazing that you're thinking about it and making it happen. I think that is in our future. Cause yeah, we'll have some... I mean, I, being a musician myself, I've played in... Played around the bay, and yeah. um, I have connections with so many amazing artists that you know to be able to not only selfishly get my friends to come play, but also yeah. uh, to to offer definitely the larger community an opportunity to come and connect. Um, yeah, it's just a no-brainer, really. Absolutely. And speaking of music, one of the things we're really excited about doing with our Patch Production Lab is to make merch for bands. Yes. And that's the Lord's work right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, we've you know we've done a little bit so far with uh, making custom merch for artists, and we're working out the the systems for it. Um, but so far, it's been amazing because we can make um, such low uh, such low minimum order quantities since we have our own custom shop. Right. Um, you know, we can make like twenty hats for for an artist and we've been working with a couple really cool local artists uh john simpson from blue sun glass he's a glass blower um also ricky rat comics uh cartoonist and street artist in san francisco nice and both the runs of merch we've made for them they've just sold out in 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 like an afternoon whenever they post new stuff it sells out because because there's a lot of a lot of fans who are looking for ways to you know connect with their art and having a piece of apparel especially when it's made with love and um, made locally people really are are drawn to that Um, yeah and for a for a young upstart band that's such an important point in the process like i feel like once you have t-shirts or once you have merch like there's a it gives your band like an era of legitimacy but and it's also like one of the few income streams that a band really has control over without yeah. having to break off all these pieces. And so Absolutely. to offer uh, these local, you know, local groups, uh, small minimum sizes, it takes away that barrier of entry as well. Yeah. And what re- we really, and you know, what we really want to do is allow those artists to focus on their craft, their art, their music. We want to handle all of the, you know, the nitty gritty details um, for them. You know, back to the platform aspect of all of this. Mm. Um, you know, we want to have them get as much of a hand as they want in the creation of their merch. Um, but when, you know, we're making and distributing it, 
we want them to actually be able to focus on what they love doing. Um, so we're working in ways to have like a, a centralized distribution hub for shipping. Cool. Awesome. So that we can create merch for a band, put it on a website that they don't have to develop or pay for themselves, have like a drop down menu for all the different bands that we make merch for so that their fans can go to that website and order directly through one site that we ship out of San Rafael after we've made the product for them. Killer. So they don't have to, you know... Because, you know, when you have a successful merch line and you're a band, like, that is your life now. Right. You don't yeah. get to make more yeah, music so you become until, an inventory specialist Exactly. Yeah. You don't get to make more music until you ship all your shirts. Right. So we don't want to have to make the band ship their shirts. If they want to ship ship some shirts they're more than welcome to stop by and ship them yeah but uh they probably won't want to i'm yeah. gonna go out on a limb and say they're not into boxing up shirts the shirt shippers not a bad bad yeah band but what they can <laughs> yeah what they can do is you know design the packaging mm -hmm. design the patches design the feel um choose the hats that they want things to go on um and really have a, a hand in the process so it is art coming from them um, but we have all the infrastructure built up now through the Tommy Breeze company right. um, to factor in more brands. That's so cool, man. And I will also say that, you know, in my, you know, this is just me in the dreamer space, which is what I live in most days, I'd say. But, uh, you know, it, I, I, I have similar have similar visions with, you know, I'm a videographer as well. Uh and one of my favorite things to do is, you know, are these music videos with bands. And so, um, you know, as you're putting this together, I hope you think of me as, as a, you know, that's something that I like to offer. Totally. You know, my, my dream is to be able to totally. make enough money uh, in my larger projects so that I can offer sliding scale video yeah. work to bands because I yes. know that's an important part and just this last two weekends ago I was up in Gualala shooting for this band Speakeasy some friends of mine no way Gualala Gualala bro it's one of my favorite <laughs> towns that I haven't been to yet it's so it was so beautiful you'll probably come up with five patches just go in there yeah but, uh, well shout out to Surf Market they're a Gualala dealer okay and they're an incredible store nice. you should definitely check out oh yeah um, one of Next my favorite stores out there. And nice. I can't wait to visit. Yeah, I highly there. recommend it. It was gorgeous. It was awesome being off the grid. But I'm starting to put together a, um, in my mind, this kind of like basic video package that's going to be something that I can market that's like an affordable thing for, for bands to do that looks like really good and amazing and legit and is like low creative overhead for me because that's a lot of times with like high concept videos it's a lot of work to uh to plan and execute like a narrative or a story and i and i love doing that and i'm totally into that but uh it does take more time and resources to do and so i think that uh there is a trend in social media now with having these like low concept simple videos that just look really nice and crisp and professionally done uh, not trying to make a big statement yep. or say, you know, let the music be the statement that's being made so that I can then go in and, and kind of figure out, I'm still working on it, like getting the formula, like you said, like the first couple patches take a long time. Yep. Uh, but I do have this vision of creating a product where for me, 
it doesn't take that much time to produce it but the level of quality is still such that like a band's going to feel really good about it and yeah i'm i've always been an artist that works really well within the lines like if if there are like you know anytime that uh i come into a project and there are constraints i'm always like greeting that because i'm like great i can be incredibly creative within those small constraints so, you know writing essays has always been easier for me than writing like free form creative fiction because i have these like this structure already that I can fill with my creativity. And so, um, yeah, so t to work, you know, as you're thinking about this platform, uh, I would love to talk more about that. And maybe there's some video components, elements that could be. Absolutely. You know, to me, there's no nobler cause than supporting live music and, and For me up too. and coming bands. Yeah, supporting know. the arts. And I really feel like throughout this whole pandemic, it's been a, an inadvertent artist strike. You know, artists would never go on strike, uh, you know, without without the outside uh, making it need to happen. Like artists are all about creating their art. They, they wouldn't, uh, you know, artists wouldn't ever do a strike in the way I believe actually <laughs> they wouldn't do a strike in the same way that you know a you know an iron worker would need to do a strike if they aren't getting paid well right you know I think for for most people in most trades it's not their passion you know artists are doing their thing because it's their passion and if it's not your passion you probably aren't going to make it as an artist right yeah so artists would never strike. But what the pandemic has created is, in effect, an artist's strike, mm. where the culture at large, society at large, has learned how important the arts is. So I think when things come back, there's going to be a much more focused attitude around what is it in our society that we've been missing out on for so long and how can we support it and how can we bring it back and make sure that it can't exist. Right. And what I want to do is create a developed platform that's ready to roll out as soon as the climate is able to handle it mm -hmm. and also roll it out on a sort of sliding scale where we can do more virtual, more spaced out events at the beginning and then set up a platform for connecting when that's possible. Get and, some live streams going. Yeah. And, you know, a really cool thing about the company that we're going to be launching to handle all of this, to handle the, the needs of the platform for artists and the production needs and everything is kind of like an umbrella company over all of this. And, and the brand Tommy Breeze is just going to be one of those smaller companies under the umbrella, side nice. by side, lots of other bands and companies that, that work with the umbrella company. That's so cool, man. I love the this kind of uh, creative industrialization, that, you know, to use a, right. a word that right. is charged, but I think could it's be... The industrial grand. revolution. Right. Yeah. The, the creative, the multi-hued industrial yeah. revolution and the cool thing about having an umbrella company is we need everything under the sun to be represented mm. under it so that means art and music and visuals and writing our company is actually going to have a writer's room cool which i think i'm not positive but it might be a new concept okay there might be somebody out there doing it but yeah. uh but in the same way that a band releases a concept album, 
like Sgt. Peppers or Ziggy Stardust. You know, for Ziggy Stardust, it's David Bowie, but he's releasing the album as this fictional character, Ziggy Stardust. So, you know, we'll be an actual company that has employees and pays taxes and all that stuff, but but that's not going to be the forefront. The forefront is going to be a fictional science fiction storyline that we write through an internal writer's room. Interesting. Yeah. That's far out, man. It's pretty far out. How will it be published? Or do you have an idea for the container that will... That the... I think we're going to form it around a web series. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, for for like film? To be put into yeah. film? Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I guess we got a lot more to talk about. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's that's one of the ways that we're really going to diversify the creative means that go into the project. You know, right. we want to have animators, filmers, mm-hmm. actors... Um, it's more like capitalism told through immersive theater. I love that. Yeah, I think one of the things that, as I've come to learn more, and even in, just in this conversation, it, it touches on this this idea that, for me personally, has really crystallized over the last year, especially as I've like claimed my own, you know, identity as an artist, as a working artist, you know. Um, this idea that that I really believe, contrary to what our government has been doing, um, <laughs> that the true, like the, the true structure of America, and what I believe we stand for as as a culture, uh, is this idea of the small business as be, as as being the the device that we really need to be focusing our energy on supporting. We've we've lost so much in that in that field over this last year with these shutdowns. Um, but I think that empowering and, and, and part of education with youth, but empowering people to really figure out what they love the most, to, to be able to, to dive and do passionately and to empower people through all these tools, platforms. We have the internet, we have podcasts, we have so much in the way uh, to open that door and to lower that barrier of entry so that everybody can be thinking about themselves as like a brand, as mm-hmm. what do I stand for? What are my values? And how can I offer to the larger community uh, the fruits of my labor, such yeah. as that it sustains and fulfills me, but also contributes something to the community, community at large. So yeah. what you're doing right now, this kind of work, I think is like exactly um, the way that I think we need to be thinking about it. And as I think about young people who are in this space uh like you you mentioned earlier of of wondering like i i'm creative i have this energy but like what how am i going to make money how am i going to support myself Mm -hmm. you know i would like to see us as a culture begin to really honor and um and value that time that like hey you're in your 20s like it's okay to feel this way it's okay to try a million things and fail and every couple months change your identity and shed that skin absolutely that's totally what you should be doing at that age and and to honor that because you know i know for me personally i had a lot of anxiety and depression around feeling like a failure and not you know i had all this creative energy but i didn't have the outlet yeah, you know. me too. Me too. Absolutely. I tried so many different things and I was always picking up a project and then dropping it because there's another project that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, it was stressful at the time and also stressful thinking that what I had to do was go out and find a paycheck somewhere. Right. Um, which, you know, is a, it's a, it's the, the obvious thought that you need to do. It's, 
you know, for some reason, a lot of people will have you convinced that you can't make it as an artist, and I'm here to tell you, you absolutely can make it as an artist, and what I really want to do is create that platform and infrastructure within it to allow people to chase their dreams as artists because the scene, the community is that much more powerful when there's more people doing it and more energy behind it. Great, man. That's just, I, I, I wish you so much success in that. And I'm so, it's so exciting Thank you. To, to, to hear. Thank you. And really the company that I run right now, um, the eponymous brand, Tommy Breeze, I really see it as a vehicle not toward my own artistic creation entirely, but a vehicle to get the funding in place to create a larger community of artists. Sort of the, you know, the Wayne Enterprises to your Batman. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I like that, man. But I am not the Batman. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what the Batman would say. (laughs) <laughs> no, it's, that's great man it's it's uh you know having lived out in the east bay now for for the last seven years um eight years now actually it's 2021 um i witnessed so much in the way uh, of you know people in in different communities doing this kind of thing for their communities uh but coming out to Marin and and it's always just such a treat to get to experience like our own homegrown flavor of that Mm -hmm. and and to Mm -hmm. see that yeah um you know one of the one of the kind of trademarks of the culture out here is that that radical inclusivity you know post hippie vibe that that's percolated down into our generation yeah and that uh yeah you know, not only are you doing this art, but there's also this deep desire to include and to show people that, like, hey, you two are worthy to create. It's there. It can happen in Marin. It can, you know, there's a lot of reasons to be cynical about Marin right now, but I think there's just as many reasons to be hopeful about what we can do. Um, it's been proven in the past. I know a lot of things have changed since the 70s in Marin. Um, maybe... I would argue the last time that there were significant things brewing, you know, you got mountain biking, you got the Grateful Dead, which has also been a huge influence for me. And just the idea of music coming together, creating a scene, outdoor activity coming together, creating a scene. Um, As long as you have people who are stoked about something and the ability to take it to that next level of funding... I think it's really possible to make something happen. And I wasn't too pleased about the the arts community before COVID, before the pandemic. I mean, I loved the people who were part of it. I loved what they're creating. It's amazing stuff. But I don't think it was well-supported enough. Mm. And when it comes back... I really want to work hard to make sure that it's supported and loved and funded. I hey, amen to that, brother. I think that that's a yeah, an amazing um, sentiment uh, to to, you know, to yeah. almost like a, a slogan, if you will. Uh, yeah, but 
I, I, I think that um, no buts. It yes, hundred percent yes to that. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that uh, in order to be an artist, you should have to be a starving artist. Right. You know, it is possible to do the art that you love and also put it out there in a way that you can be supported doing it. And it's about widening your audience. And what I want to do is create a structure that has a built-in audience for artists and musicians. Like a curation platform. Yeah. And and just an events platform Mm. where, you know, we're going to be launching actually an event production company and we're going to be, you know, basing it around a storyline we're creating and also a line of apparel that we're creating and I really see it as a as a way for talented artists to get a foothold. You know, we'll be working with a lot of very established artists, but we'll also be working with the artists who aren't yet established, but we really believe in. And then we'll also be working with artists that we don't even know yet on a community scale of doing these pop-up workshops where anybody can sign up and make art and make patches in the same way that we make patches for the most established artists that we work with. Killer. Yeah. And yeah, there's there's some pretty uh some pretty big bands on you know, on the docket that we're gonna be collaborating with once we get set up. Oh yeah. And I'm hoping that, that creates, you know, just a really connected way of moving forward with it. Yeah. And I love I love what you said about um I think you know, just just to underscore it, giving, uh, you know, giving these artists an opportunity to see that uh, there's a difference between selling out and making money off your work. And Absolutely. That, and that actually, your intuition as an artist for keeping integrity to the art can actually be your number one selling tool. Yes. And that if it's if you have someone that that you, you know that you you're in relation with who understands that point of it that like that is what's important not the compromises for the dollar that there isn't an audience for genuine i think the internet's been a great platform for this but that that uh, look we have this audience that trusts us as as purveyors of of good shit yeah. uh and your art is going to come under this umbrella and be supported you know in the way that we value you you know, as a creative and wanting to make things that you feel are, are you know, have integrity. Right. Um, I just think that's a really useful service and something that, uh, that should just only be supported. And, totally. Um, yeah. And we want to have a lot of different ways to put art onto, onto products, onto things that people can connect with. You know, maybe someone's an, an awesome painter and they're making these paintings and, for whatever reason they aren't catching on they're having trouble selling paintings well maybe we take those designs and we put them onto patches mm. or we put them onto acrylic pins to put onto clothing or hats yeah and maybe that's the scale that works um, that maybe that's the niche that gets your yeah. art out there and then then all of a sudden because your art's out there on that scale then you can sell the paintings totally and I think that artists you know, there is the worry of selling out. Like, if I'm making money off of this, like, maybe the 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 you know what's behind the art 
um, has lost something as a result. And I don't think that's the case. I think that it can be the case if selling the art is taking up so much of your time that you can't focus on the art anymore. And that's exactly why we want to have a platform that handles every part of the thing for the artist. So if they want to, they can go right back into creating, not have to worry about shipping the things that they've sold and and doing the web design for what they're they're selling and and all of that. Hell yeah, man. That's one of my favorite things about getting to do this podcast is like, you know, interacting with, with other people who are having these creative ideas. And this is something that like, I, I, I haven't thought of, but hearing you talk about it, like already I'm like, yeah, duh. Like that's exactly what we need right now. And, um, you know, one of, one of the, People are always asking me, like, oh, what's your podcast about? And I'm always like, well, it's about everything and it's about nothing. Uh, but I would say that one of the central themes for me and in, in the people that I pursue to try to get on here is uh, how are people of my generation escaping the soul-killing nature of the nine-to-five, you know, classic go-sit-in-a-cubicle life that, that was kind of our parents' artifact yeah. and the generation before us. And, and so having people on like yourself who are like, look, here's my path. This is the way that I did it. I'm pursuing my passion. I'm not going to settle for something that it doesn't feed my soul. Um, is yeah. super on brand. But then also to hear that you're not only doing that, but also actively thinking about and creating a an avenue for for people to follow in those those paths I think yeah. that's super admirable yeah we're like a we're like a Trojan horse going into capitalism yeah you know that. we we appear to be capitalism but in fact we're here to rewrite what capitalism is Hell yeah yeah and uh, you know I don't like to use the term employees for the people I work with mm-hmm. you know any company would would refer to them as employees but really it's about having a crew and like having a team. Like, I'm one of the people on that team. Mm. Even though I'm the leader of the team, like, I'm just one part of the cog. Right. And, you know, I don't want to be surrounded by employees. I want to be surrounded by bosses. Yeah. That's really what we're going toward with this, is we want to allow people to take charge of what they want to do and how they want to be creative. And everybody who's on this team here at the company, Tommy Breeze, you know, as we launch to higher and higher levels of the company and the company Tommy Breeze becomes just one of these companies at the bottom of the umbrella, um, everybody's going to have the chance to develop their own lines of what they're doing. Right. You know, uh, my team members, Maddie and Sebastian, they're each incredible artists in their own right, and I'm really excited to see them be able to explore that and figure out the products that they want to make with their art. And, you know, another form of art is just organizing events, doing the, the builds for events, um, building the space, the interior, exterior, or landscape mm-hmm. design of the area so right. it flows well. So it's I think a, of my boy, shout out, Gabe Cordy. Oh, yeah. The work he did out at oh, yeah. Parachute Days with those amazing wood Incredible creations. stuff. And I'm really, really excited to pop up at Parachute Days in the future. Yeah. I've got that open invitation nice. for 
for uh, for an art setup at Parachute Days, and that might be one of the places that we launch in right. the future. It really is amazing when this is one of the things that I've had to be doing a lot lately is taking inventory of my own resources because I'm not like a, I'm not an independently wealthy person, but I do have a lot of wealth in the form of the people that I know and, totally. and, and the collective uh, the collective creative potential in my life. Like I got a hat guy, I got a musician <laughs> guy, I got like yeah. There's I really do have this vast network um, that has so much potential, and so you know as you know one, the probably the biggest project on my horizon is this feature film that I'm working on making out here in Marin and uh, so like that's as a director and a producer I'm like having to think like okay like how much money can I raise and what can I do and, and who can I call on and what are my resources you know and it's it's a lot but it's also like so inspiring just to realize like man I got so much in the way of a network like I know so many amazing artists who if they can, you know, if I can get them fired up in the way I am, would love to, to do this stuff. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's one of the, you know, the great silver linings of this shutdown of this, of, of what COVID has given us, you know, despite all the pain and the suffering is, I think it really has given a lot of us the space to, uh, to think about things in this new way and hit reset right. and, 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 you know, all my, all my nine to five day job homies out there, like, we want you on our side, you know, yeah. like, like yeah. let's find what, what you love to do. And, uh, absolutely. So, so hell yeah, man. Um, well, Hey, I know you, that we're getting close to, you know, the end of your time, but I just, I really wanted to thank you for coming on the Bart cast, man. And it's been great, uh, talking to you and, and getting to know you, you know, more than just a couple conversations at a party. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be on your show and, Thanks for keeping the conversation rolling and letting me, uh, you know, stretch my my creative muscles again here. You know, like okay. uh, the daily grind can uh, <laughs> can confuse you. You know, like I've gotten to that point with my company where you know most of it is just you know how do I fulfill orders, get stuff out to shops. I mean, that's what we were doing all day today. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking on this level until you showed up i know i came in and you were hunched over your sewing machine and yeah sometimes i've found with these things it's the nice thing about these long-form conversations is it can take like an hour to just to get into for your brain to shift into that different creative mode and so yeah it was um, it was fun We, we created a creative space here totally some really cool ideas came came out of it oh yeah and um uh what was I going to say? Yeah, well, certainly I want to set the intention in the future for you to come back on when, when there's new things to announce, when, you know, hopefully when when an event is ready or when you have a, a name or whenever, you know, I'd love to have you back on here. But, I'd love uh, to be back on. But And there's a lot more to explore on these topics. But um, but for now, I just, uh, for all the listeners out there, like how, how do people find you and how can people learn more about what we just talked about? Well, the main place to find what I do is tommybreeze.com. That's the website. That's where you can find uh, many of the hats that we make, a little bit about the backstory. You can also see a dealer finder on there. 
um, where you can see a list of our, our dealers in California and a few outside of California as well. Um, another great place to find me is on Instagram. The handle is by Tommy Breeze. Is that B-Y or B-Y? Uh, B-Y, Tommy Breeze, like gotcha. by, like an author. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I would also encourage anyone who's interested to check out a recent article in Inside Hook on the company. Sweet. Um, uh, by a fantastic journalist named Diane Rommel, who's also written for... Uh, Rolling Stone, Cosmopolitan. She uh, profiled me a few months ago, and it's another great place to, you know, learn a lot about uh, in less depth what what we talked about today here. Yeah. Um, but it, but it, just like just like this conversation, I think it laid a lot of the breadcrumbs for, you know, what people might not be able to see uh, on the surface of the the apparel company that I run today. Um, but what is just another one of those things that really uh, inspires me to to keep moving forward with it? Because you know it's a it's a lot of lot of work day to day. You know, I, especially before the holidays, I was working you know twelve fourteen hour days and just grinding. Yeah, and going to see you in in Corte Madera. Yeah, you know, totally full. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, it's it's been a lot but it's been amazing and really what keeps me going is the possibility of opening this up to a scene instead of just a company that i run awesome man well hey may your scene blossom and and flourish and uh and may i get to to sit in the middle of it someday i'm sure you will i'm sure you will Well, well thanks tommy and uh until the next time brother just good luck i wish you nothing but but the best of fortune and all your endeavors i really appreciate that bro i'll talk to you soon have a good one man all right wonderful well thank you so much tommy for coming on really enjoyed talking to you um pretty cool stuff again uh go check out his art go check out his apparel get yourself a sweet hat or a beanie or for your friends or family. Like I guarantee those beanies are so comfortable. Um, and it's so cold out right now. You, you owe it to yourself. Um, also, yeah, keep your ears posted for, yeah, keep your ears posted (laughs) for, uh, for these upcoming things. Um, this guy is creating some really cool stuff in his community and, and we should all be a part of it. I look forward to the day that I can get my merch made at a at a breeze factory somewhere. Um as soon as we have enough listeners to uh warrant merch being sold. Um yeah, if you guys like what I've been doing by the way, please, you know, send it to friends, um spread the word. I haven't been paying for any sort of promotions. Maybe I'll experiment with that in the future when I have money to throw towards it, but right now it's it's all word of mouth. So, um, if you guys like what I've been making, you know, spread the love around cause that's really organically how we're trying to grow this thing. And, uh, yeah, it helps, you know, we, I think we're up to 1300 streams all time. So, uh, getting more ears obviously allows us to do more. Um, and feel free to reach out to me. Probably Instagram is probably the best at young Hobart. 
and let me know if there's anybody you'd like me to have on. Uh, that's I'm always looking for new guests and hearing from listeners and people, you know, I want you guys to tune, tune in. And if there are people that you'd like to have, you know, hear me have on, uh, I much appreciate you throwing them my way. That's how these things grow. So, uh, little, one last little piece of business. Uh, my, my next podcast, um, which I'll be recording this week, I'm going to have my friend Forrest Stearns back on the space artist from episode 22. This time he's going to be interviewing me. Would you believe it? Um, and we're going to be talking about how to start a podcast. That's going to be the topic. And so if you've ever wondered, if you've been toying around with it, how do I start a podcast? What do I do? What's the process? Um, speaking as a rather experienced podcaster, <laughs> 23 episodes in the bank, um, I'm going to talk about my process and hopefully if you're interested, uh, people will find something valuable about that. I really think that everybody who is toying around with it should do this just if nothing else as a creative practice. It's, it's been so much fun and so like validating and I've just gotten to like have a great excuse to hang out with friends and do my thing and explore ideas and learn and listen you know, those are really, it's helped in a lot of facets of my life. So check it out. We're going to record it, uh, I think on Thursday and probably be out next week. Love all you guys and gals and everybody and hope you guys are all having a great week. Um, until next time, much love. <laughs>